there were nine Gustafson cousins who lived on uh, four acres on the north part of Bellingham. We ran in a pack with neighborhood kids thrown in there, uh, creating healthy and uh, not so healthy recreational activities. Um, baseball, that's okay, healthy. Uh, flag football, building forts of every type of dimension and sizes. I once built one three stories high. Our fathers were carpenters. Um, tree tags and clusters of firs, creating dynamic plays that we thought were hilarious. And our parents were gracious to sit through. Um, then there were the mini bike races without helmets. And the Tarzan swing that went out over a creek 18 feet above the creek um, and then landed on the other bank. Um, and then there was the red rifle BB gun, but they weren't really red. They were just BB gun fights that we had on this four acres. And yeah, we could have shot out an eye. My older brother lost uh, a front tooth that got broken, and it was so disappointing. All our BB guns got taken away <laughs> at that point. But one summer day, we had way too much disposable time for our pack, and um, a can of beer was smuggled from my Uncle Carl's uh, underneath the trailer stash. He lived in a trailer and he uh, suffered immensely with alcoholism. Um, I didn't really understand this. I was quite young. This is a little bit of denial right now. And uh, so I didn't get the can, but out came the can. A bowl appeared on my cousin's back porch, a bag of white Wonder Bread. Uh, was brought out, the beer can was opened, poured into a bowl, soaking the bread, and the soppy mess was offered to my cousin's dog, <laughs> named King. And, and some here, where in the pack I heard, let's get King drunk. Um, thankfully, King was much wiser than us kids. He was not terribly interested in the soaked Wonder Bread beer uh, concoction. But right then, my Auntie Jeanette came out the door of the back porch in her consuming presence. Her dad had been a covenant pastor, and I do not know what he preached. But I tell you, my aunt scanned the whole scene and in her Watkin Middle School teacher's voice that echoed clear across our recreational four acres, she cried out, Have you kids been feeding King beer? And the most amazing thing happened. In complete unison, our heads went, no, 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 no. At 
her feet sat the bread of beer the bread, the smelly alcohol bowl, the open can of beer, and our heads were swaying. No, no, no. It was pure denial, motivated by self-protection. If you knew my Aunt Jeanette and her discipline, it was self-protection. So my heart was just pounding inside. And then came her second commanding question. Who fed King Beer? This was mass trial. She was the questioner. All heads dropped. Eyes gazed to the ground in a stupor. No one whispered a word. We might have been deniers and liars, but we were loyalists. <laughs> Loyal until my aunt's judgment rang out. Okay, then. All of you will get a spanking. With that horrifying threat, 11 or 12 kids all looked in the same direction. Every head, it was like ticker tape, every head went in the same direction. We couldn't help it. It was just like not even thinking it would be better for one of us to be spanked than all 12 of us to be spanked. In unison, our pleading eyes went to Nick, who had smuggled the beer, opened it. And the next thing I heard was, Nicholas Dwight Gustafson. And with that, we scattered. <laughs> I ran as fast as I could run. Um, and sadly, the strange thing was, the next time I saw Nick, it was really hard to look him in the face or look him in the eyes. Because I knew we left him to Auntie Jeanette, his mother. We are in continuing Pastor Chris's road to the resurrection and tonight's title is um, when we fail Jesus and with that may I invite us to stand and look at Matthew chapter 26 <clears throat> where we have right before this Jesus is in Caiaphas the high priest's house undergoing his trial and in the courtyard we have Peter undergoing his trial verse 69 now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him you also were with Jesus of Galilee she said but he denied it before them all I don't know what you're talking about Peter said then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. 
Then Peter began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. You may be seated. This is not an A-plus glowing report of Jesus' future, one of Jesus' future leaders of his church. Jesus was on trial inside. Peter's having some type of trial outside in this courtyard. Inside, they're mocking Jesus, saying, prophesy to us. And Jesus is not going to prophesy when we want him to prove something, but he has already prophesied what's happening for Peter outside. And that's found in just a few verses earlier in Matthew 26, 31-35. Jesus clearly told his 11 minus Judas apostles, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away, on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Peter. Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. No name of Jesus as friend as companion, as rabbi, as my Lord, as the Son of God, just as Peter had promised loyalty to Jesus a few hours earlier. And the New Testament is so honest about failings that you almost think this is truly an authentic, reliable account. Nobody's trumping up anything. It's raw. It's real. It can be trusted. And I guess here's a question for myself and us today. Peter was not hiding his failure. He's honest about his denial. That's why we even know about it in this account. What failure am I, or are we, harboring in secret? What temptation is drawing me, pulling me, tugging me, and that I'm tempted to keep it in secret, as opposed to expose it with fellow 
Christians, with fellow Christ followers, to get help? Or how is it going? Is, is it easy for me to deny in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my family, in my extended family, in the place where I find myself being in time and space, denying Jesus? What makes us deny Jesus today? Peter was honest with God and with Christians in community. In verse 69, it's first the servant girl who approaches Peter with the challenge. You too, the word is Kai, it's, it's really emphasized. You too were with him. One little servant girl of little influence, of little authority, by culture's standards, she's challenging Jesus. I thought Pastor Chris, he, he, Pastor Chris is just so great at digging into the scriptures when he says that 30 pieces of silver were what it cost to buy a servant a slave and Jesus has sold himself for 30 pieces of silver do servants do slaves matter absolutely in God's eyes so it's not quite Peter's not quite free to just dismiss this little servant girl because what she asks and what she responds she gets matters as much as we might want to skip over those we regard in our society as low of low importance, it matters because it matters to Jesus. Peter's mother-in-law, sick in bed, she was one of the little ones. Jesus, she matters to Jesus. Little children, she, they matter to Jesus. Men with leprosy who were the outcasts who couldn't come in, they mattered to Jesus. The widow from Nain whose only son is being carried out and that's the livelihood to keep her going. And she matters to Jesus. He is just full of compassion for her plight. And so this servant girl, Peter cannot shrug it off as if it doesn't matter that he says, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And in a sense, neither can we. In the most mean, uh, what we might regard in our society as just passing comments of persons who don't really matter it might just deeply matter whether we say something or live something truthful about Jesus notice that she says you too were with Jesus of Galilee I wonder how much fear that might have struck in Peter's heart he's in Jerusalem he's in Judea that's the place of a lot of traditional Jewish uh, 
hierarchy, can we say? Galilee of the Gentiles is up north. Galilee of the Gentiles. It was not so popular in the Judean Jewish mindset about Galilee. Galilee was a place of the unclean pagans, the troublemakers. For some Judean Jews, Galilee of the Gentiles was like Frodo and the Fellowship of the Ring treading into some of the darkest, scariest places in Tolkien's Middle Earth trilogy. Can you just hear Gimli? That's a bad place in there. That's a bad place in there. Galilee of the Gentiles, that's a bad place up there. And Jesus is regarded as a foreigner, not one of us, not our own. Better for one famous Galilean to, to die than for the rest of us here in Jerusalem and Judea to suffer under the Romans because there's an uprising. Let him take the fall. Better for Nick. Oh, poor Nick. Better for Nick and Annie Jeanette to get it figured out than all 12 of our bottoms to roll. Verse 71. When, Jesus, when Peter makes a denial of Jesus, notice he moves further away from Jesus, his Lord. He goes out into the gateway. Out. Except there's a problem. It's Passover. And Jerusalem has swollen to three, four, five, six, seven, eight times its population. And there's people all over. And now he runs into another servant girl. This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. The pressure is growing. Jesus of Galilee, now Jesus of Nazareth. I was joking with Nathaniel. Uh, uh, it was Nathaniel in scriptures who said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <clears throat> that was somewhat of the mindset. And can you feel Peter... He's the odd person out in this courtyard. And he's surrounded by people who sort of belong to the high priest's community. But think about that in terms of the kingdom of God. Is that really true? In the kingdom of God? In Jesus' upside-down kingdom ways? Who belongs most and nearest to Jesus. Is it not Peter? On one level, isn't it Jesus? Isn't it Peter who has absolutely the, the authority and the right to charge right into that house and take his place right beside Jesus? He's been with Jesus. He knows Jesus. He's heard his teaching. And yet something is blocking Peter. And maybe it would block us all, and maybe today it does block us all in some ways. 
out of fear, out of self-protection, to be identified with someone that's, that's mysteriously hard to pin down exactly. He's magnificent. He's the most wisest, smartest person. God in the flesh. A profound mystery. And instead of going where Peter could in Jesus' kingdom clearly stand, he goes further away. And now it's I don't know the man. It's going to get intense for Peter. He's going to go to... I don't know him to using an oath and I don't know the man. Two things. What did Jesus teach in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew about oaths or curses? Don't use them. That's what a lot of people in this society was, were doing to try to prove that they were saying the truth. Just compound all these oaths and compound all these curses. I swear I'm telling the truth. And Jesus said, don't do that. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything else beyond that just leads to trouble. And Peter is backpedaling here. He's backpedaling and he's using an oath, and he's, he just sees, he's just falling, falling into fear. And I wonder if some of Peter's falling and some of my own falling has to do with at times I just like to make Jesus into my own image. Or I just like to make Jesus do my agenda. Peter and the others. And Peter is just in Matthew, he's just the representative of the others. They all said the same. Yeah, we'll, we'll stay with you, Jesus. And we'll die with you, Jesus. It's just that Peter kind of gets... We get his story. But they all said the same. It's almost as if we hear, Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus, be the kind of Messiah I want you to be. Be the Messiah that kicks out the Romans and liberates Israel, takes back David's military throne, gives us Solomon's reign of peace... Please, Jesus, rule and reign over us the way I want you to. And from all four Gospels, if we piece it together, there is a great discomfort in Peter and the others about Jesus being a suffering servant Messiah. That he... It's really hard for them to hear when he says, I must go to Jerusalem, and there I will suffer, and there I will be mocked, and I will be handed over to be crucified. 
and buried, but I will be raised to life. And it was very, very hard to listen to that when you've got another agenda. Have you ever noticed that? It's so hard to listen when we've got another agenda. Spouses or children or colleagues at work. When I've got an agenda, it's hard for me to dial down and listen. Listening in the biblical sense of the word means to go deeper than the ear. Listening means to believe and obey. To hear and obey. To believe and obey. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Pastor Chris did a sermon for us on the shining up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have Moses and Elijah, Old Testament, and you have the leadership, beginning leadership of the New Testament church, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus is indeed shining, and they're all there together, and Peter starts a building program. He just wants to do something. And the voice comes, and what does the voice do? Interrupts Peter's building program interrupts his voice. I think this is somewhat instructive for New Testament leaders and the New Testament church to understand it's not going to be this big hierarchical thing. There is one who gets to be listened to at the maximum level. And that's Jesus. Because the voice is going to override Peter and the voice is going to say, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Go beyond the ear, ear and believe him and obey him. And that was very important for the disciples because Jesus was going to come down the mountain and he was going to set his face like flint for Jerusalem. And it was going to be a very messy, wounded, broken, crucified, dead, buried Messiah. And it required listening, which was very difficult for Peter to do. And I just think that we are vastly fortunate here at Lettered Streets Covenant Church that we have a pastor and we have a leadership team that wants to listen to Jesus who is the head of this church who founded the church who loves the church who died for the church who seeks to guide the church and prayer becomes a part of that listening <clears throat> can you think of what was one of the one things the disciples came to Jesus and said, Teach us to do, Lord. What is it? Pray. Pray. I think it would be pretty good to say, Jesus, teach us to multiply the bread and the fish like that so we can feed all these people. 
Or could you please teach us to cast out the, the demons and liberate people? But they see something in Jesus' prayer life and, and they go, teach us to pray. And he does. And one of the challenges for Peter is that when he had that chance in the garden, that garden in the olive grove where Jesus is himself praying and strengthening himself in God so that he could go through his trial and go forward to the cross and go through the cross and trust the Father to raise him from the dead, Peter is struggling to stay awake. And he's struggling to pray. And I relate. I so relate. I had to give my iPad for Lent to Tim and Marsha McAvoy. Because while I don't have a TV, I learned that on my iPad, I could still watch shows. And I could watch them late into the night. And it wasn't like Deb was praying late into the night. It was NCIS Los Angeles. You know? And it was like, I was more awake. It wasn't putting me to sleep. So finally I said, Tim, please take this. So I can come back to that place of prayer. Because that is what the disciples recognize in Jesus, where he got so much of his strength, is in the praying. How goes our, how goes your listening and prayer life with Jesus? Alone or in community? How goes it? Returning fairly newly to, to Bellingham, and having had deep, deep friends in Chicago that I could get together with and pray, and it was not uncommon to be on our face before God and pray for one hour or two hour over issues, and with tears, you grow into that through deep friendship. It just doesn't happen. But Thursday night, I was, I, I was desperate. I was desperate for prayer on that level. And I went to three homes and no one was home. And finally I, I drove to Barb and Ed Goebel's place and I called Barb on the cell phone and she doesn't answer. And I thought, Lord, I'm just going to have to go home and cry myself <laughs> and pray myself. But then I thought, well, I'm here. I may as well knock on the door. And when Barbara opened the door, she saw a sobbing mess on the porch, and it was me. And then, and I were there through dinner, and 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 I go, "Will you guys pray for me and with me?" And sure enough, in the living room of the Gobels, for about an hour and fifteen minutes, an hour and a half, we were just praying. We were praying for the church here. We were praying for God's ministry. We were praying for our hearts. We were praying to be transformed. I felt so lifted by that prayer. And I can't thank the Goebbels enough. 
And what I think we have in this community here is we get that kind of authenticity to be with each other and to pray. Peter is just going to go deeper and deeper here. It's going to get worse. He's on a tra trajectory. I was... You get that word trajectory, it's just hard to get out. Um... In verse 34 and 35, um, 73, look at that. I'm, I transfer numbers. It's 73 and 74. It just get words for Peter. Surely you are one of them for your accent. That Galilean accent, it gives you away. And Peter calls down curses on himself and swore to them I don't know the man now he's the most famous man in Nazareth and Galilee and Peter's a Galilean it's not quite adding up have you ever been caught in a lie that just got worse and worse and worse I figured out when I was really young that something about this size and green bought candy. And one day my mom's purse was open and I saw a piece of that green this size and I stole it. And I was so young, I didn't know that there was a difference between one, five, 10 or 20 and a few hours later my mom is in awe, up in arms because a $20 bill was missing from her purse she asked me directly did you take this and I'm ashamed to confess I directly lied no And the most horrific experience proceeded to happen because my mother who grew up in poverty in the Lettered Streets area here with an alcoholic family, she called on the phone all of the places in the last two days she had been to asking was there a spare $20 bill laying around. She thinks it's hers. And I was listening and I, I wanted to plug my ears. And she asked us again as kids, did we take it? And I am terrified and I said, no. And my dad came home from work and all through dinner, my mom is going on and on about how could she misplace a $20 bill that he worked so hard for in a construction industry that was going downhill. And it was agony. I went out to our driveway that was gravel and I could count to 20. I didn't know what a $20 bill was, but I could count to 20 and I put 20 stones together. And I thought, that's a lot. 
I did not take a $1 bill. I took a $20 bill. And so the only thing I could think of doing in my massive amounts of courage was try to slip it back into her purse. And I got caught. But you know what? My mom, because of her hurt, my mom was so relieved that the mystery was solved, I didn't get punished. But I will tell you that the remorse and the fear and the anxiety of seeing her and the anxiety was enough. I thought in my heart, I never want to do that again. I do not want to experience that again. And Peter is about to enter into a deep kind of remorse. Verse 75. The rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Wept in remorse. Not in despair. Not the despair of Judas. But he weeps in remorse. And how do we know that? Because Peter is able to come into a level of repentance because he's able to say to the other followers of Jesus, this is what I did. I denied Jesus three times. He's confessional and he gets help in community by naming it. Both to the Lord and to his brothers and sisters. And so while we have Judas in extreme despair and remorse, Peter, the future leader of Jesus' church, along with the others, is learning. Is learning, especially when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he does not want to do that again. So who is Jesus for us today when we fail Jesus? Let me just say three things. And maybe we can all relate to Peter at some junction of our life. Maybe when we were young, maybe just this last week, where there was an opportunity to say, yeah, I love him. I belong to him or act like we love him and belong to him and are with him but here's one who is Jesus for us when we fail he is the one and only high priest who lives and is constantly praying for us in our weakness and failure Hebrews chapter 7 he ever lives to make intercession. So in the other Gospels, Jesus had said to Peter, this is what's going to happen. 
But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus praying for Peter strengthens him that he does not go into despair, but he does turn back to his brothers and sisters. And he speaks the truth. Jesus is praying for us. That's who he is for us. Will you let Jesus pray for you? And ponder that this week. He's praying for you. Secondly, after Jesus' resurrection, he returns to Peter and the rest of his followers who had scattered and fled and abandoned him and denied him. And Jesus is so mature. He is so mature that he has the capacity to go back and gather them together. Back to himself. And to welcome that, them back in. And the question is, will we let Jesus gather us again when we fail? Will we let him put his arms around us and pull us near to his chest as we confess? And third, Jesus knows the way he wishes to restore us. It might be alone in his presence and word. It might be in trusted community. But it certainly is in this. The ongoing invitation to listen to him. The ongoing invitation to listen to him. It wasn't just for those on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Greek is it's ongoing and it's for us. It's our call. The voice from heaven says, listen to him. So discipleship to Jesus, following Jesus, is this ongoing listening relationship and conversational relationship with Jesus, which Peter gets restored into in a profound, profound way, and which I have experienced Again and again, nothing has changed my life more than confession and repentance and being gathered again close to Jesus. And it is a gift that we have. And to see Peter be drawn back in and welcomed in and strengthened to go forward and serve Jesus. We are blessed that he confessed it and we have it here. May we pray. <clears throat> How large of heart and soul and being you are, Jesus. How massive is your grace, your wisdom, and your compassion. That you knew in advance what was going to happen, but you prayed for Peter and for the rest. And you longed for them to be gathered back to yourself, and you returned to the very ones who denied you. And we are so grateful to either call you Lord today or to be investigating you as one who is worthy to, be, to follow. 
So would you help us to hear your voice? What would you say to us in our journey of discipleship or in our steps of coming closer? We invite you to speak to us. And we ask for the grace to listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen.